Welcome to the Midnight Podcast. The story we will be reading today is I currently reside inside a facility for victims of brainwashing. I was Rachel, now I am Astrid. By our favorite Trash Tia from Reddit. I really hope you enjoy this story. Last week, I was Rachel. Yesterday, I was Rachel. But today, I'm Astrid. I'm 24 years old, and I'm a victim of brainwashing. It's weird. With the cocktail of medication I take every day, I feel numb. But then I stare down at my wrists and see where I've carved into my own flesh with my nails and smashed my mirror. I've clawed at my door, and there are marks on the wall where I've smashed my head into the tiles. I don't feel it, or remember it, but I do see the clumsy stitches across my temple and blackened eyes, split lips and band-aids when I'm cleaning my teeth. According to Dr. Chase, I'm one of the worst cases inside this facility. I didn't know until yesterday that this place had Wi-Fi. Harvey leaned over in his chair during quiet time and scribbled it on his whiteboard. He's the only one allowed a whiteboard. Unlike me, who chooses not to speak, he physically can't. If he does, bad things happen. Harvey's been using the internet to play League of Legends. He's tried to describe the lore through scribbles and bad drawings, but I still don't understand it. I have my own personal laptop to write down my thoughts, though I thought the internet was blocked. There's an outdated web browser, but it works. Harvey playing games is surprising, but it's healthier than what he's usually doing. I've been encouraged to tell my experience on paper because I've refused to talk. Between you and me, though, it's not that I'm mute like the barrage of doctors here have concluded. I just don't want to talk. I don't even know what to say. How do I talk to these professionals pretending to care? They're not subtle about being more interested in the brainwashing itself than my mental state. They prod and poke me with cocked heads and wide, fascinated eyes, like I'm a newly discovered pathogen. I'm surprised they haven't dissected me. Now, Astrid, we just want to help you, they croon, prickly fingers lingering a little too long on the back of my head. They want to shave my head again for more tests, but I've almost grown it to my shoulders. I'm not staying long enough here for them to shave my head again. I won't let them. We just want to take samples, they say, which is a huge contradiction of their own words. Last week, we were told we could go home, but like I said, that's not looking likely. I blame it on the boys who can't get a damn hold of themselves. They use whiteboards for weapons and markers as makeshift knives. I admit our collective mental state isn't great, but I feel well in myself. I can't remember a lot about myself. I had to be told my name, and I don't know if I have family out there. There are splinters, like jigsaw pieces coming together. I have a sister, though I can't remember her face. I can finally think straight, and I've stopped trying to poke my eyes out. Nights are a lot better these days when I'm taking my medication. Days of color, and I'm getting better with being separated from the others. It's still hard being away from them, but I just count the days, minutes, hours, and seconds. 22 hours, 4 minutes, 53 seconds. Every minute, the clock ticks down in my head counting down to when I can see my friends. Dr. Chase told us in group therapy that we're a unique set of patients. I don't think he knows what to call us. Officially, this facility is supposed to heal neurological trauma and brainwashing. 
but according to several private conversations I've overheard, the four of us are the first actual victims of brainwashing. I'm not talking drug-induced hypnosis or mental torture, or in some way, I am. We are the real deal, which means I guess we are valuable. What scares me is these people whose lives are revolved around this specific technology have no idea what it is or where it came from. We care about you, Astrid, they tell me with soothing, patient tones that should calm me down. Bull. They want what's inside of me. Dr. Chase doesn't just want to cure me. He comes into my room in the night hours and just stands in the doorway scratching his head. Then he brings in others, dark silhouettes, looming over me when they think I'm sleeping. They all dress the same, disheveled looking and kind of gorky. They all say the same thing. I've never seen anything like this before, which is concerning. They have theories, of course, but I don't think they believe their own hypothesis. During lunchtime, I see them slip into Nicholas's room. He's considered a band red, so I'm not surprised he's the mind they fawn over. Screw Nicholas. I wish the guy would come back to Earth. I thought he was okay, and then in the middle of group therapy, the idiot attacks a nurse. I was dragged away before I could really see anything, but all I had to see was the glistening red puddle on the floor, the sharp scarlet smears staining the cuffs of his clinical white pants for me to know he, in fact, was not okay. He just kept going. Hell, he wouldn't stop, slamming the corner, the corner of his whiteboard into the orderly's skull. The sharp splint of plastic made a surprisingly good blade. I was already being dragged, but I couldn't stop staring. The orderly wasn't moving anymore, and what was left of his head was splattered all over the floor. It reminded me of a coconut that had been cracked open. When Nicholas raised the whiteboard again, his expression completely blank. I could still see where he'd drawn a sad face in response to the question, How are you guys feeling today? Nicholas had been feeling colon open parentheses for a while. Despite showing little to no emotion, I think his mental state is keeping us all here. And while I despise him for prolonging our seemingly endless stay here, that doesn't stop our nightly chats. I won't fully go into detail why I have to talk to him, and if I don't, I will fall apart. I will get into that. It's like being bound to someone, something poisonous, but I can't get him out of my head. I wouldn't say we talk, exactly. Lights out, I climb into bed and knock three times on my wall. We have our own code. Technically, none of us are allowed to talk directly to each other outside of therapy. Dr. Chase said communication could be detrimental to our healing. Like I said, though, it's impossible not to talk to them, so we talk in our own way. Harvey and I talk through whiteboards, and Addie actually speaks. Rarely, because when she does start talking, Addie can't stop. Her words tangling, turning into gibberish. Her eyes roll back and she starts trembling, blood seeping from her nose. Dr. Chase explained it's a reaction to what they can't get out of her. He describes them as splinters too small to retrieve. When Addie does speak, she talks about the world we are told to forget. She talks about a life that wasn't real. Addie's had four different surgeries and they still can't get them out. They are the resin behind her slurring words and noticeable twitch and a sudden jerk of her head. Ah... The idea of tiny pieces of something just stuck in the meat of my brain makes me shudder. 
Nicholas and I? Unlike Addie and Harvey, we use the good old-fashioned way. One knock on my wall is, I can't talk tonight. Two is, do you want to talk? And three, my most commonly used, you're a damn idiot. He doesn't reply anymore. Instead, he just screams. Nicholas used to reply before the tests began and the world slowly started to feel real again. We talked endlessly all night through knocks with our own patterns, and I was so in love. The type of love that felt endless. How can I describe love I can't even remember? How can I describe feelings that were implanted and not organic? It didn't come like a soft wave, like a first love. This was forceful, a parasite leeching into my skull, words that weren't mine twisting on my lips. I remember being apart from him. From them felt like a physical chain wrapped around me, a suffocating wave dragging me into the dark. Now it is different, however, with the medication and the tests, and then being forcefully isolated from each other. I am Astrid, and Nicholas is a stranger. I am Astrid, and Nicholas is the psycho in room T-101. I miss the earlier days. Neither of us were on Earth at that point, and the world was like one big carousel ride I couldn't get off of. He was always by my side, escaping his own room and slamming his hands into my door, screaming at the guards, dragging me away. It was fun, like we were on an adventure. And the only bad people were the figures in white, pricking our necks with sedatives and trying to pull us apart. We've already escaped once, all of us, back when I called him by a different name. Back when that name was reality, and everything else was a dream. Dr. Chase told me sternly that wasn't Nicholas, and he was trying to make the real Nicholas better. I should probably tell you why I'm writing this. What got me shoved in here in the first place? I knew Craigslist didn't have a great track record, but I was taking a chance on a room. I don't remember much about my living situation, but I know I wanted out. So I was taking risks. It was a fairly innocent ad that caught my eye when I was browsing through the homepage. A modern college house in the middle of the city. Free internet and a single roommate who worked nights. The room itself was kind of mediocre. Yellow wallpaper, cream carpet, and some creepy paintings stuck on the wall. But there was a great view of the college town, and I had enough space to make it my own. It was perfect. I applied while on the bus to class, adding that I was an independent person and wouldn't get in the way. Dr. Chase wants me to describe my memories as detailed as I can. I remember the fall leaves dancing across the window and glued to my shoes. There was a dusting of frost on the sidewalk outside and the air smelled of rain. Class went by in a blur. The girl sitting next to me smelled like pumpkin spiced lattes, so I went to get my own. I got a reply when the frazzled looking barista handed me my drink. Hey, thanks for inquiring about the room. Do you want to come check it out? Smiley face. The owner sent me the address, and I ended up standing in front of a large red door, but I wasn't alone. I noticed I was being followed halfway down the block. I crossed the road, and then so did the figure. When I twisted around, a college guy around my age was staring down at the leaves he was kicking through, nodding his head to music corked in his ears. It was the trench coat that threw me off guard. I couldn't see a face, only a shock of reddish curls catching the late afternoon sunlight. When it became clear we were heading in the same direction, he lifted his head, eyes narrowing like this was some kind of game and I was in the lead. Then he was quickening his steps, 
I started power walking, both to get away from him and a stray thought pushing its way into my mind. I needed to get there first. Clearly, he was also thinking it. His expression hardened with concentration. When he was at my side and the two of us were shooting panicked glances at each other, I walked faster. He followed. And by the time we were shoving past each other through the gate, trampling in a growing pile of leaves and practically sprinting to the door, I realized I was unknowingly fighting for the room. The guy whose face was now visible, narrow features and wide brown eyes, finally turned to me slightly out of breath. The guy was cute, a mop of reddish curls and freckles. His clothes screamed English major. It wasn't my type of cute. I preferred the manly types. And this guy was kind of scrawny. Nerd cute is what I would have called him. He had slammed his hand on the door first, so I guess he'd won. Still though, I was standing like an idiot half hoping he'd draw for rock, paper, scissors. There was a prick of an awkward silence before he slowly lowered his hand from the door and then knocked. He seemed nervous. Suddenly, his hands delving into his pockets, and then picking at his shirt. You're here for the room, he said it more like a statement, avoiding eye contact and bouncing up and down on his heels. This guy smelled like old books, sandalwood, and freshly brewed coffee. The embodiment of fall itself. I am, I said, and when his lip curled in distaste, I remembered we were rivals. I mastered, I said. He nodded slowly, withholding his own. Cool. I tried to smile, though my patience was running thin. Do you want me to go, or... Now, he was supposed to say, no, no, we can figure this out, like a normal human. But this guy just shrugged. If you want, he side-eyed me. The room is mine because, you know, I got here first. I didn't realize how much I wanted the room until he was trying to take it from me. When I applied for it, I didn't see any views, I found myself saying through gritted teeth. So, technically, I saw it first, if we're using your logic. He didn't look at me. Congratulations. I nodded. Exactly, so it's as much as my room as yours. The guy's head jerked, like I had personally insulted him. I inquired this morning. He said, his smile too wide, too many teeth. I scan the app every day. This is the best room I've seen by far, and it's overlooking the town. Well, so do I, I snapped back. I read through it on my phone. Good for you. He rolled his eyes, corking his earphones back in. Feel free to hang around, the boy deadpanned, but I wouldn't recommend it. I felt it then, a sudden irresistible urge to get the last word. Fine, I said, my cheeks burning. He knocked again, folding his arms. Cool. Cool, I said, my voice going higher in pitch. His lip curled into a smirk. I didn't realize I had a parrot on my shoulder. Another painful silence with me trying to think of a comeback which wasn't childish. Catching his glances, the curve of his lips forming a smirk, he knew I was struggling. Before either of us could surrender, the door flew open, a bright-eyed girl poking her head through the gap. She looked younger than the two of us, maybe her first or second year of college. She was a blur of blonde curls and wide smiles a feverish energy almost knocking me off my feet. The warm golden light swimming around her was homely. The guy must have thought the same, his eyes momentarily entranced by the light. I saw his shoulders relax slightly, his expression loosening, but he still made a point of keeping his distance from me, like he was already a housemate and I was a stray cat. Hi, 
The girl's gaze snapped to each of us, her smile growing wider. She reached out to shake my hand. Her fingers were so cold. You're Astrid, right? The girl who wants the room. I nodded, feeling smug, before she reached out to shake the guy's hand, though he high-fived her instead. Harvey, you're here for the room too? For a moment, her eyes seemed to light up. Oh, the girl laughed. She spoke straight expletives. Her energy was cute, but it was too in my face. Wait, are you guys, like, uh, inquiring together? She steepled her fingers together like she was implying something else, and we shared a mutual look of what the hell before he laughed. Not just laugh, I'm talking spluttering, almost kneeling over. No, I snapped at the same time as the guy deadpanned. You're kidding, right? No, dude, I have standards. Ouch. That one was going to sting. The owner laughed like he was a comedic genius. Well, it's nice to meet you guys. Why don't you two come on in? I'm just making iced tea. She ushered us in. Harvey stepped forward first, kicking off his shoes, and I followed hesitantly. The house was exactly what I wanted. I walked straight into rustic paintwork and a ratty welcome mat with the H missing from home sweet home. Cute and endearing. Further down the hall, the place oozed warmth. The lounge was small but homely. Bean bags in the place of a couch, the owner danced into the kitchen, and Harvey followed. I noticed he was drinking something, and I mean everything in. He picked up a ceramic pig from its small table, frowning at it, then a wooden horse. Clearly, he was yet to learn basic human decency at the grand age of 20-something. We are in the kitchen, the owner trilled, when I found myself intrigued by Harvey full-body scanning everything in his vicinity. The guy almost dropped the pig, his eyes widening. Harvey met my gaze. We? He mouthed. I don't know what was wrong with me. Maybe there was something in the air, but the second Harvey straightened up, I was already power walking toward the kitchen. He was right behind me, his socks sliding on the marble floor in a rush to reach the room before me. I won this time. Just. With Harvey breathing down my neck, trying to shove his way through, he had the energy of an older brother. Once I was on the threshold, however, my momentary glee at winning this silent battle with a stranger dissipated. There were two others sitting around a table, cocked heads and polite smiles that were definitely not expecting us. A ponytailed brunette caught my eye. Her lip curled. She was pretty. The kind of pretty I wasn't used to. The pretty that caught my breath and made my chest ache. This girl was glowing, dressed in the designer fall fashion. A striped scarf wrapped around her neck. Sitting across from her was a mop of blonde curls peering at the two of us like we were aliens stepping from a mothership. Previously, it looked like he'd been falling asleep, fist resting on his chin. Still though, he raised his hand in a shy wave, a small crease of a smile on his lips. Ponytail wasn't as welcoming. Her cat-like eyes raked me up and down, head to toe. Another one? Clearly, neither of us knew we were there for the same room. The owner, who was clattering around making drinks, gestured us to sit down. I did, sliding into a seat. I had no idea why I was still there. There was one room and four of us, and I wasn't planning on losing my dignity for a cheap room in the city. I made my decision to announce I was leaving, but before I could, a glass was set in front of me. Iced tea. It looked homemade. Condensation fogging up the glass. Slowly lowering myself back into my chair, I took an experimental sip, 
lemons with a tinge of ginger, maybe some vodka. It tasted good, a refreshing flush down my throat. I'm Tella, by the way. The owner leaned against the counter comfortably, her hands cursing her own drink. She nodded to the other two. Addie and Zach were just telling me they're majors. Harvey made a point of reluctantly dropping into his chair. He downed his drink in one gulp. English language arts, he announced, hiding a burp behind his hand. Not to be that guy, but who's getting this room? He nodded at Tella, who turned and grabbed cookies from a cupboard. There are four of us in one room, he said. Which, by the way, is the cheapest I've ever seen, so... Harvey leaned forward. Why invite all of us? He was right, but he didn't have to be a dick about it. Talad didn't speak for a moment, flashing us a grin. Do you guys like sitcoms? The question took me off guard. I thought she said, do you guys like CD-ROMs? But then Ponytail or Addie was nodding, delicately sipping from her glass. Yeah... Well, they're all right, I guess. I've seen all the classics. They're good. They're not funny. I noticed Harvey's grip slip around the rim of his glass before he tightened his hold. The jokes are painful and the humor tries way too. I jumped when a shuddering sound hit my ears, drowning out the rest of Harvey's rant. Della had dropped her glass, but she didn't move, her hands still in midair, fingers cinched like she was still holding it. How much? She spoke softly, her lips curving into a small smile. I noticed she was barefoot, and the crunch of her stepping into shards of glass, swaying back and forth. How much what? The blonde, Zach, finally spoke up. His accent was definitely from New York, a thick Long Island drawl in his tone. He too looked like he was ready to leave. Zach tipped sideways in his chair before I realized he was just reaching for his backpack. Tella didn't look at us. Her feet were bleeding, but her smile was stretching wide across her lips. There was something in her eyes I couldn't understand. She couldn't feel the pain of glass slicing into her flesh. Iced tea crept back up my throat in a sour paste. How much? She spaced out her words. Do you guys like sitcoms? Her emphasis on the word was like an explosion. Mania and excitement collapsing into one. My body began to catch up with my brain. I think that was the moment the four of us collectively realized through panicked looks that Tella was that type of person. I was the first to remember how to move. I've changed my mind, I said in a breath which tangled on my tongue. What came out instead was, I've changed my mind. I jumped up and reached the door, but my head swam, the world jolting. It looked what electroshocks feel like. The kitchen tiles and ceiling bleeding into one. I blinked rapidly. No, no, I, I was still sitting down. I hadn't moved an inch from the chair. I don't know how to describe this experience. Dr. Chase had to sedate me the first time I recalled it because, apparently, I'd tried to hurt myself. He told me it was my brain's response to recalling a bad memory. When I try to say it out loud... I get jittery and I start jamming my teeth into my tongue. With the meds, all of my fears stripped away. I can dig into the recesses of my own trauma and see it as something brighter. Cognitive behavioral therapy, or at least that's what Dr. Chase likened it to. It has helped me turn what used to be a memory that put me in the quiet room for weeks, trying and failing to crack my own skull open, into a movie in my head. 
We were just getting high, Dr. Chase and the other doctors told me, sitting me down on crinkly paper on a bed and peering into my eyes with weird glasses. They told me to close my eyes and go over the memory again, and this time I had to replace Zach's screaming with laughing. Tella didn't spike our drinks with mind-rotting hallucinogens and sedatives. She just gave us weed. Hell. Harvey's voice sounded like he was in a tunnel, a tangled moan rolling off his tongue. I was half aware of Zack on his hands and knees, laughing. What did you put in those drinks? Yeah, what did you put in this? Harvey dragged out the S until something hit the table with a thunk. His glass, followed by his head. I remember trying to ask if he was okay. Before my lips were numb, my vision blurring into one single pinprick, light slowly bleeding away. There wasn't enough time for darkness. Thunk went my head, dropping onto the table. Another thunk and a crash. Addie. I heard her head slam into the kitchen tiles. Her body. Hell, I can't write this. Her body landed in shattered glass that I could hear Tella crunching through. So dark. I was nothing for a while and there was nothing. Not like dreaming or sleeping or just being knocked out. It was deeper, more permanent. It felt like a choking, suffocating oblivion swallowing me up before choking me back out. When I cracked one eye open, it was light, too bright. I was standing, my body more of a puppet on strings. My clothes felt itchy and wrong and old, like I had been wearing them for weeks, months. There was something in my head, writhing in my ears. Laughter. I couldn't move my body. My expression, my lips or eyes. I was paralyzed. The world going on around me. Initially, it looked like I had woken up in a cozy lounge. There was a couch behind me, a colorful rug, and warm rustic wallpaper. But then I was looking past all of that, at scary silver walls of metal that went on for seemingly forever. I wasn't inside an apartment. I was on stage. Disoriented, it took me a moment to register a figure standing in front of me. I noticed disheveled clothes first, crumpled jeans and a shirt glued to a skeletal figure. I didn't know his face. He was younger, maybe by a year or two. Whoever he was, this guy had been here longer. He was the shell of a human being, pathetic remains of what had been someone, something. Brown hair fell and wide eyes glued to me, lips parted like he was talking. I waited for him to scream, to cry out for help. His eyes told me one thing. Play along. Part of me wanted to refuse. But then something wet and fleshy hit the ground in front of us, the world jolting once more. My vision started to clear, and something slammed into me, a wave of ice water stealing my breath. There wasn't paint on the walls. It was too bright, too new and then old, scarlet streaks blurring together. The carpet under my bare feet was suddenly slimy and wet, pooling red seeping through my toes. Through tunnel vision, a man had been standing in front of me. With a clear head, however, I was seeing flaws my mind had skimmed past. Dark shadows under his eyes, yellowing bruises blossoming across his cheeks, a split lip, a thin trail of dried scarlet pooling down his temple. I think my brain was trying to shield what was in the corners of the room, bodies piled on top of each other. Some of them old, 
piles of bones and some of them fresh, still warm. The couch behind the guy was filled with three figures. I recognized them, Zack, Addie, and Harvey. Neither of them moved, their heads bowed. I jumped, or at least I internally jumped, when the man standing in front of me took my hands. Wet. His fingers were slick red and I tried to pull away, but I couldn't. He opened his mouth, squeezing into my fingers. I didn't think there was a relationship to screw up. His voice was surprisingly calm, his expression twisting. It hit me that we were in the middle of an argument. In the middle of an argument that I didn't remember, but my tongue was already entangled. I backed away from him, as if my strings were being tugged, my lips curling into a scowl. I thought we were broken up! Laughter followed again, a sharp thunderclap in my skull, pain I had never felt before. That was raw and acute, struck the end of my head. I couldn't move my hands to signal that I needed help. My brain felt like it was igniting, burning. He was like me. He couldn't move and yet somehow he was squeezing my fingers hard enough to send a message. Play along. And I did. My lips moving without me. Words that weren't mine. An expression that wasn't mine. I was the backseat passenger in my own body. We said we weren't going to see other people. Immediately he was following along. A natural. Somehow. Well how was I supposed to know? I'm not a psychic. If I was, I'd be like ten billion dollars richer. He paused. More laughter. I mean, we would be, uh, ten million dollars richer. The words were pushing through my mouth, forceful. Don't think you can sweet-talk me with ten million dollars? Billion, he corrected, his lips curling into a smirk. What? I can't help being smart. I hit him with the newspaper suddenly in my hand. You? Smart? A snort from the couch. Harvey. Just please, he paused. Be kind to the furniture when you're fighting. His voice choked up, laughter following. It's innocent, I tell you, innocent. The laughing didn't stop, louder, rooted inside my skull. My words tasted like blood. I could feel it seeping down my nose and chin. There were bugs crawling in my head. I could feel them, sense them sinking their tiny claws into the meat of my brain pouring from my ears and sticking to my neck. Their chitter, both inside my head and in the room, writhing on the walls, feasting on fleshy remains. They sunk into my thoughts, once again turning them into cotton candy, plunging me into uncertain oblivion. I spat blood through words that suddenly didn't make sense. My legs buckled. The conversation went on while I was being violently pulled back inside my mind. Rachel, the electric pinpricks in my head played with my thoughts. No. I fought back. Astrid. Consciousness came in waves. Sometimes I was standing with the nameless man, and others I was with Zack or Harvey and Addie. After a while of suffocating on nothing, I used these momentary bursts of clarity to be thankful for those around me. My hair grew long, almost to my knees, until Tella cut it all off scrubbing the blood off of my face and making me all better. I can't remember when we lost Zack. One minute the two of us were talking, and the next I could see them, 
tiny skittering bugs pouring from his mouth and eyes, his body coming apart in front of me. I didn't react when a chunk of him hit me in the cheeks. I couldn't react. I hadn't spoken my own words in months, and when I tried to, my tongue was seized from me. When Talek cleaned away, Zack, and spread the rest of him over the walls for the feast, I started calling myself a different name. I was... Rachel. The bugs eating me from the inside told me I was called Rachel. If I fought back, they made me wish I was dead. They made me slam my head into the ground, trying to cave my own skull in. I remember there was a moment of coherency after we lost Zack, and before we gave in to our new lives. It was rare for all of us to be awake at the same time. Sometimes the bugs inside our brains went to sleep, leaving us conscious and aware for hours at a time, and keeping the facade became progressively harder. Addie found the exit door by accident. She said we were in a bunker locked with a biometric scanner. Harvey found a weapon, a lead pipe. We timed it perfectly. Tala went to get food for exactly 45 minutes every single day. So, Harvey planned to bash her damn brains in. He hypothesized that she was controlling the bugs somehow, and without Tala, there would be no bugs. I wish he was right, because then we would have only spent a year in captivity. What Harvey wasn't planning on was these things having sentience. They wanted the act to continue, and even with Tala gone for a moment, they wanted to be entertained. So, they entertained themselves. That was the day we lost Harvey, too. He didn't splatter in my face like Zack, a warm, wet streak on my cheeks. Instead of attacking Tella, he slammed the pipe into his own head, again and again until he was dropping to his knees, blood pouring from his nose, begging for mercy. Tella did give us mercy. She stopped us from thinking for a while, and slowly, my name started to fade away. Rachel. I snapped awake halfway through a conversation. Zack's body had toppled onto its side, still leaning against the wall, a casual viewer. Harvey had facial hair, his hair grown out. There was a smile stretched across his lips. Harvey called me Rachel, so I called him the name skittering in my mind, trying to break from my lips. Danny. I refused to surrender until that moment, because calling him it felt natural, and I knew all of him. After all, he was my friend more darkness, and I stopped thinking again. All I could sense was the sharp chitter in my skull. Light. Addie and I were sitting on the couch watching TV. She had a bowl of popcorn. I could see Zach's in the corner of vision. Maggots had gotten into his eyes. Addie's gaze was on the TV screen that wasn't on. Her name was Elodie. She handed me a chip, her words light and whimsical, almost like we were dreaming. Chip? She offered me another. Raucous laughter rattling my head. I got a boyfriend soon after. The man who I was talking to, sleeping with, my arms wrapped around him. Even as a backseat passenger, I still felt like my heart was fluttering, my chest aching. He felt natural next to me, and over the years of blinking back awake, the two of us stopped fighting it. His eyes had almost become animated over the years. He was always smiling, laughing, blood spilling from his lips, that became normal. I had friends and a boyfriend living in a huge apartment, a group of 20-somethings living together as a group, as friends. What more could I ask for? Days passed after that. Weeks, months, years. 
Light flooded inside the bunker when we were playing charades. Light felt more suffocating than the dark. It pierced my eyes, sending me to my knees, cutting our game short. I was sitting with arms wrapped around my boyfriend when sudden thundering voices sounded, and the laughter inside my head started to falter. They're in here! Before I knew what was happening, our tiny piece of heaven was being destroyed. Figures appeared with heavy weapons, pale light flashing in our eyes, and the startling allure of my body became free for a moment. I caught Addie blinking rapidly, Harvey frowning down at his red, slicked hands. The walls around us were painted, stained in human remains, and so were we. A woman came over to me. Her eyes were wide, scared. Zack wasn't there anymore, a pile of bones on the floor. Astrid? She spoke calmly, calling for medics. All around me, my friends were being checked over. Harvey stumbled away from the figures, his eyes wide in the bright allure. No, he choked out in a laugh. No, we're fine. Can you please get out of our house? He gestured to the door that had been blown through. Now that is going to be our day job tomorrow. Laughter sounded in my head, so I ignored the woman throwing a blanket over me, the words spewing from my lips before I could stop them. You mean it's going to be your day job? Astrid! The woman slapped me, and some lost color bled back to reality. Astrid, can you hear me? I'm so sorry, sweetie, but you're in shock, okay? I'm going to help you, I promise. Her words collapsed into white noise when Addie started screaming, and Harvey was dragged away from her. I reached out for my boyfriend's hand, but he was kneeling on the floor. A man was shining a light in his flickering eyes. Nicholas, he spoke softly, and my boyfriend only cocked his head, frowning. Nick, can you tell me how many fingers I'm holding up, please? His gaze found mine. It's okay, I told him, panic twisting my gut. It's okay, baby. Tell them, and maybe they'll go away. He did, through a spluttered laugh. Five. Now can you go away now, please? Jeez, it's a Friday night, man. The man checking him over let out a hiss before lifting his head. Get away from them, he snapped, and the other figures backed away slowly. He looked scared, shaken. Can we get someone else in here? He started picking dead bugs off of my boyfriend's neck with tweezers. We, uh, I don't think we're qualified to deal with this. That was when my world started to come apart. My boyfriend was dragged away, and a hysterical Harvey attacked the woman trying to help him. I heard her scream, but before I could see what was happening, a cruel, cold prick slid into the back of my neck. I didn't realize I was screaming too, until I was being gently brought to my knees trembling, sobbing into the ground. I was sinking into the abyss when footsteps sounded. A figure was looming over me, and my lips were numb. Help. I needed help. I needed my friends. What have we got? A male voice crept into my mind when I was falling. Six kidnapped students that went missing in 2020, a female voice said. Four are heavily inebriated. One turned herself in, and Zach Cartwright is confirmed deceased. No traces of drugs or alcohol. There's nothing but bugs. I've never seen anything like it. These things are part organic, but... Astrid? I didn't respond, my eyes flickering. I felt my body swaying back and forth. Rachel. I jerked my head in time to the voice, reality bleeding back into fruition. Time had skipped forward, 
I was sitting in a white room, my legs swinging off of a bed. My hair was gone. A smiling woman was in front of me. She detailed the basics. I was quarantined inside a facility for victims of brainwashing. When I jumped off of the bed and tried to get out, the nurse calmly led me back onto the bed. When she was less gentle, strapping me down, the nurse told me I was going to be in a lot of pain, but it was for the best. She said there was pain, but I don't remember it. Even if my body does, I still have scorch marks in the backs of my eyes. I was weak, my body limp, barf dripping down my chin when the nurse gently took my hands. Astrid, she ignored my correction. Would you like to see what has influenced this type of behavior? The nurse cleared her throat. We don't exactly know what it is. What we do know is that it attached itself to your spinal cord, feeding you information. Her lips formed a frown, which has influenced you into thinking certain things. Your name, for example. She held out a small silver instrument, and attached to it was a writhing thing struggling to keep hold. Astrid, you were a prisoner for three years, and this is the result of your current mental state. We are going to help you, but you have to let us. Her gaze dropped to the ground, which would require a certain surgery to remove this infestation. No, I shook my head. I want to see my friends. Astrid, that won't be possible right now. Instead of speaking, I clawed at her face and screamed, demanded to be reunited with my friends. It hurt being away from them. When I tried to explain it, I received sympathetic smiles, but then I had the surgery and the invisible ribbon binding us together was cruelly severed. I started therapy on my own, and then with them. The others didn't talk. When Addie spoke, she suffered seizures. Harvey preferred using a whiteboard, and Nicholas didn't even acknowledge us until he grew violent. Dr. Chase thinks that things have laid eggs inside his mind and are still in control. Three nights ago, I awoke inside the bunker that held me captive. With me, or Harvey... With me were Harvey, Addie, and Nicholas. Zack was there too. In front of us was a picnic blanket filled with food and drink, and we laughed and talked like we were inside our little heaven. Nicholas wrapped his arms around me, and I nestled my head into his lap. He was smiling again. The walls around us were chittering, moving, calling. They want the show to continue. I thought it was a dream, but my feet were caked in dirt from walking around barefoot. At breakfast the morning after, Harvey grabbed my hand and pulled me into the bathroom. He scribbled something on his whiteboard. Did you... last night? What was that? I could only nod, breathless. He wrote another message, this time in bubble letters. Lights out. We go looking for that woman. He'd drawn an angry face next to it and I smiled. I hadn't smiled in a while. Tella, our kidnapper, is inside the facility with us. She too is receiving a different kind of treatment. So, per what Harvey said, we planned to meet after lights out, but he never showed up. This morning a nurse informed me that there was an incident during his surgery and I won't be able to see him anymore. Dr. Chase said Harvey is in a very bad state. Nicholas and Addie are deteriorating, but I can still see them. When I go to sleep, I awaken inside our apartment and the laughter is back. The chittering in my skull grows louder, our little piece of heaven. But when I wake up, and he's not at breakfast, Addie is missing too, and the screams inside Nicholas's room terrify me. Please, 
Can someone get us out of here? I just want to see my friends. 19 hours, 34 minutes, 308 seconds. I hope you enjoyed this story. Huge shout out and thanks to Trash Tia for letting me read another fantastic one of her writings. And a huge shout out to my patrons for making this episode and, you know what, a lot of episodes possible. I really appreciate you. And thank you for listening, whether you're listening to the podcast or on YouTube. I appreciate you stopping by and deciding to check out this story. I really do hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'm not going to ramble too much. I'll save you from it. But I just appreciate you being around. And with that said, we'll see you in the next one.